talk about the fact that uh, 2,000 years ago, there was uh, a man that was walking around the earth, Jesus of Nazareth, and he had crowds of thousands and thousands of people following him. When he would go into the cities of the regions, even the largest cities of the time, there would just be this huge uh, buzz that would take place. Everybody anticipated whether they were Jewish, whether they were Christian, whether they were uh, not, or Roman, everybody knew that Jesus was coming into town. It would literally set the whole town on its side. The governments, the kings and the generals and the politicians and senators, they were all discussing this man over the water coolers. They didn't have water coolers. But when they had refreshments in their break times, I want to tell you that they were all concerned, you know, that, that Jesus actually struck fear and wonder into the hearts of generals, only he never, ever raised a sword. He was just had that kind of impact. Whether it was uh, dinner parties or soccer field sidelines or Starbucks conversation, business lunches at the community pool, I want to tell you, all of the blogs, all of the campuses and dialogues, um, at school, they all included Jesus Christ. He wasn't just uh, a trend on Facebook or Twitter. He was the trend on Facebook and Twitter. And sometimes, you know, you look in your Facebook, you get about four feeds, and there, you know, four or five different current events. I want to tell you that four or five of those all would have been about what Jesus Christ was doing. You think you get tired of seeing Donald Trump show up and all the presses he's getting? I want to tell you, Jesus would have had that times a hundred. He was healing so many people. The Bible says uh, this, that in John 21, 25, that Jesus did uh, many other things as well. It's talking about the good things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. In short, what he's saying is like of all the healings that Jesus did, all the great things that he did, they couldn't be contained in a book. They were too much to ever count. When Jesus spoke, no one ever spoke as Jesus did. Before that in the history of the world, he, the, his sermon on the mount, I want to tell you, is the most inspirational and the most true uh, moral teachings that the world has ever heard. Jesus walked on water and he calmed the storms. He helped the lepers. He raised people from the dead. And all of these things, if we were alive in that culture, we would be saying only God can do these things. So anyway, are we getting the picture of, of how what an impact Jesus would have had on the earth at that time? He wasn't really just a person. Jesus was a whole phenomenon because he had came to change uh, the world. So as big as he is, you would think that somebody like Jesus, that if they predicted their own death and their own resurrection, that everybody would just be waiting for this huge event that would happen, right? If he was healing all of these people, walking on the water, raising the dead, if he predicted that he would be crucified and he would be raised to life, as he did three, on at least three occasions, you figured everybody would want to be there at the event, right? 
So let's fast forward three years later, and Jesus has been executed, and he's laid in a tomb, and it's sundown the first day, which on Friday, which would have been the end of the first Jewish day. The sundown on Saturday would have been the second Jewish day. So any time after sundown, Jesus would have resurrected. And you would have figured that out that, you know, they've got like the tailgate parties uh, set up out there. They've got food trucks with uh, falafel. Uh, and couscous and all that other stuff is going on. They get the big foam finger. You know, Jesus is number one doing the dab. All of this because they knew that something huge, something uh, that was going to ever shift the world. In fact, it did. If you look at our calendars, Jesus' life was so big that it actually changed the calendar. It, it divided it from B.C. to A.D. That's how big it is. So you figure if he is foreseeing this and if he is prophesying that this is going to happen that on the third day when he arrives and outside of the tomb there's going to just be throngs of people his disciples are going to be there for sure the people the blind people that he healed you've got to know that the little girl 12 year old girl that jesus rose from the dead you know she's going to be there with her family because they know that jesus can raise people from the dead right so the sun goes down you know how it does and all of a sudden you blink your eye and then boom, it goes. And sometime in the morning, God the Father comes down and he says to his son, uh, get up. And he calls down into the, to sin, the darkness of sin and death. And he raises up his son as the King of kings and the Lord of lords through the grand audience of zero. Maybe two guards, right? But they got paid. They got paid to be there. All of the followers, all the people that Jesus had performed all these miracles, he'd been telling them this for three years and demonstrating this power and this love that was his life. And surely everybody was going to be right there to see it. So we're thinking like, well, how did this happen? Where did things go so wrong? And I want to tell you that the world had thought that it had been robbed of its great hope, especially if you were Jewish or part Jewish, you would have definitely felt that your hope had been robbed, that things hadn't gone as planned or so it seemed they hadn't gone as planned. And when Jesus died, so did all of their hope. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, have, have we ever been disappointed in Jesus? Or have we ever been disappointed in our Christian faith? Have things quite not gone uh, to plan? And we think that, yes, that Jesus has made us promises, that we've seen miracles in our lives. <clears throat> we've seen great miracles in other people's lives. But somehow, some way, in all of that that has happened around you, that your situation still seems lifeless. Your dreams have been crucified. And somehow, some way, it just makes more sense not to even bother to show up. And that's where the world is as Jesus is raised uh, from the dead. And just like Jesus' followers back then, depending on where you are in life right now, you may be trying to piece this whole thing together called faith, uh, called Christianity, called following uh, Jesus. And you may be trying to make sense of it all, but somehow, somewhere, faith and uh, despair, I'm sorry, despair has just kind of come in. 
Who, and there goes the cutest little baby on the face of God's green and blue earth, Declan. Oh. Not that I'm partial. Where was I? Okay. Uh, but despair overtakes us. <clears throat> so let's get into our Bibles if you have them. If you don't, we're going to put the verses up here. But we're going to be in John 20 for a bit before we move into 1 Peter. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, no worries. Like I said, we're going to give you the, <coughs> the words and the, the things that Jesus taught right up here. Uh, John 20, verses 3 through 8. So Peter and the other disciple, which is John, the one who wrote uh, uh, the Gospel of John. This, uh, John, let's see, Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. They had heard, the women had come back and saying, wow, Jesus isn't in the tomb. So they were both running, right? Uh, but the other disciple, this is John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So Peter's probably a better athlete. I don't know. Um, but he bent over and looked, it, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So John gets to the entrance of the tomb, and he sees stuff, but he, but he just kind of pauses uh, right there. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth that was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. We get this? So it's still, it's separate. It's still lying exactly where, where it would have been. In verse 8, it says, Finally, the other disciple, this is John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And this is the key part of this morning. He saw and believed. Do you read that with me, that last verse? He saw and believed. And that is what Easter morning is all about. I want to tell you that something happened, something shifted in John's life when he went in and examined and investigated the tomb and found it empty. And I want to tell you this morning that the rock was not rolled away so that Jesus could come out. The rock was rolled away so that we could look in. So that we could investigate, so that we could see, and that we could believe. And that's what today is about. Easter is about something that happens in our hearts when we look in and see and believe. A hope that comes to life. And when we peek into uh, the tomb and we actually see it for ourselves, it becomes personal for us. It's not something that we've just heard about or we've seen other people experience. But it, it has some meaning for us and it'll change our lives. I want to tell you that because of the empty tomb, that the hope that we have as, as Christians or, or just as human beings, that the hope that we have can be a living hope. And a living hope is not just wishful thinking. That's one definition for hope. It's just kind of wishful thinking that something will happen. But biblical hope, the, the hope that arises out of the tomb, not only desires something good for the future, but also has an expectation that it will actually take place. So it's not just believing that something could happen and hoping, but it's an expectation. I expect that this thing is going to happen. But it even goes deeper than this. It not only expects it to happen, but it is confident that it will come to pass. So it goes from seeing, from, from a, a hope to believing. From desiring to expecting, and then out of that expectation, confidence uh, will grow. And it happened in John's life and it happens in Peter's life because they actually looked into and saw 
the empty tomb. And this is the kind of hope. This is a, a living hope, different than all the other hopes on the earth that can actually transform our lives. There's other types of hopes. They can get you by for a little bit, but I want to tell you this one is for all eternity. First uh, Peter verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says this, praise, to, uh, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this is where the hope comes from, right? It is given to us, but it's given to us through the resurrection and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now, how many expectations have you ever had in life that have perished or spoiled or faded? All right, the list, and it just goes on and on and on. But ours is a living hope, and it isn't a message that we have easy lives because we've believed in the resurrection and that we follow Jesus. We know that we do face cancer, that we do face struggles, that we face disillusionment and persecution, and all of these things are part of the human package, right? I'm not being fatalistic about it. We're not like doomed to these things, but this is just reality. Like this is part of the human experience. But the resurrection means this, that at the end of the sickness, at the end of the bankruptcy, at the end of the grave, that we come out of it with a resurrected Christ. That no matter what we face, the tough situations in life, that we will come through it with the resurrected Christ, that we have a living hope. You know, that not even death can remove this hope from us, that it's a living hope, that it, that it goes past the grave. So you might be thinking, well, you know, I'd, I'd be open to having this, this living hope. I've put my hope in other things that haven't worked out uh, for me, but this is, you know, 2,000 years later. How, how do we, 2,000 years later, do we <laughs> look into an empty tomb to find that Jesus Christ has written? So... Um, are you guys curious at all? Good, because we've got some answers. That's what we want to talk about this morning. John chapter uh, 20 and verses 29 through 31 says this, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Right? That's, he's talking about you and me. He's talking about the people that are going to look at this event 2,000 years later, that there's a special blessing that comes to us because we've not seen uh, literally, and we've, but we have believed. And John goes on to write this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. So these are eyewitnesses which are not recorded in this book. But these are written. Right, This is why these things are recorded, all these miracles in this book, that these are written that you may believe that Jesus uh, is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life or you may have a living hope in his name. So the Gospel of John was written 2,000 years ago when, when God was inspiring and breathing into John to write these uh, divine words that he had in mind that 2,000 years later, people just like you and I would be looking at them and we would need to see and believe. So one of the ways that we can see and believe, we can look into the empty tomb, is that every time we read the Gospels, we are looking at the empty tomb. 
Amen? That's why these things are written. These are written by eyewitnesses or friends of, there would have been plenty of eyewitnesses. The whole lot of scripture that's written in the New Testament would have been written in the time where there was actually people that were eyewitnesses that had passed on what they had seen and what they had experienced. Perhaps some of your neighbors, this is another way that we can look into the empty tomb. Perhaps some of your, uh, your family members or your neighbors have actually gotten to the tomb before you did. And you've seen an awesome change in their life. And they keep telling you about how awesome and about how wonderful it is for this resurrected hope, this, this living hope. And you've seen this shift. I want to tell you, if you've seen that, you are, have looked into the power of the empty tomb. Amen? When we see what happens in the lives of others, you don't even have to go into the Bible. You can read history books from the first century, from Roman historians, from Jewish historians, from people that would have every reason not to include Jesus Christ into their writings, just factual history that proves the life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the most proven fact that ever existed in the first century is the life of Jesus more so, if you put all the history books together in the campuses, it still wouldn't be as the things that we, that we believe, that we believe is fact, that we live our life on, wouldn't be as proven, things coming out of the first century as the life of Christ. Isn't that exciting? And maybe somebody, uh, someone forgave you when you didn't deserve it because they were inspired by the empty tomb. And I want to tell you that when you see that sort of thing, that you are looking into the empty tomb. Could be that somebody prayed for you and, 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 and had just the right words or shared a scripture verse that, that connected deeply with your heart. And I want to tell you that if that's happened to you, that that is a glimpse into the power and to the life of a living hope. The Bible says that nobody can say and look at creation and not acknowledge that there is a God. It's just, it's something that no one is without excuse. And, and so we can look at creation, and the Bible also tells us that all things were made through him. All things were made through Christ. So every time we see something being built, and we see, especially like in springtime, we can see that things are brought back to life, that there's new Life And I want to tell you, every time we see this, spring should be a reminder of the empty tomb of things that were dead that are being brought back to life. <clears throat> so if there is a, a living hope and we've uh, seen the empty tomb and we believe, how can this transform our lives? Let's talk about the things, the, the deepest longings of our, our spirit, the deepest longings in life, the things that we look for to make life fulfilling. And we find that they come through this living hope. Colossians 1, uh, verses 3 through 6 says this, We always thank God, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all God's people. This is the important part. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. 
So we would say, like, what are the two things that we want to really mark our life? And I want to tell you, as a, as a believer, but just as a human being, I want faith and love to be the strongest identifying things. If anybody talks about my life, I want them to say, yeah, he was a man of love and he was a man of faith. And we can see that a lot of times we can, we can desire faith, we can desire love, and we know that, that maybe it's because it's in Scripture that we should live that way or just because we know like we were created for great things such as this, and we want to try it with all these other hopes, but we just end up falling short. I want to tell you that if it's filled, if your life is filled with a living hope, everything changes. Everything changes, and here we can. We just see it right here, that the faith and love that spring from the hope. Isn't that awesome? Like they just spring from it. You don't even really have to try to have it. It's just a natural flow from a life that has seen the resurrection, the empty tomb, and has believed. I want to tell you that with uh, a living hope that life becomes more secure. You don't have to be as fearful. I want to tell you that a, a life of hope is a life with options. You won't feel boxed in. You won't feel like there's, I've got to take drastic measure because there's no way out. I have to do things that are against my conscience because I have nowhere else to turn. This is the only option that I have. I want to tell you with uh, with, with Jesus that there is, there's always options. And Hebrews 6.19 says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So he's talking about this living hope that we have, that our hearts can be secure and not fearful. And we have to look and examine ourselves and we say, like, are we living our lives? Are we making poor choices because we're just, we always have fear kind of nipping at our heels. Or maybe fear has just completely come in and just dominated our lives. This living hope is a place where this thing can be dealt with. Life becomes more secure. You know that hope enables rest. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we think enable rest. But I want to tell you, hope is the best one. You'll never sleep. People that have hope sleep like no other people. You ever notice that? <clears throat> you try to lay your head on a pillow when you're hopeless, and what happens? Tossing and turning, tossing and turning. But as soon as you have hope, the Bible says this in Acts, it goes, uh, Acts 2, 26, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Isn't that good news? Isn't that like what the Easter message is all about. The other thing I want to tell you is that hope enables relationship. Hope enables us to draw near uh, to God. Hebrews 7, verses 18 and 19. Uh, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So the life and the death of Jesus introduces us to a new hope. And this is how we approach God. If you think, well, I don't know if I can uh, approach him. Just I want to tell you, believe on the resurrection. Believe on the resurrection. And that hope will enable you to have a great relationship uh, and draw near to God. So Christianity, the thing we're talking about today, is not built on a religion or a personality that Christianity is based and founded on an event. 
It's founded on an event. It's here in the resurrection that we actually move from fools to be pitied, right, to men and women that can absolutely change the world for all of eternity. 1 Corinthians 17. If I can have that. Yeah, 15, 18, and 19. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. So do we see that there's, because there's, there's plenty of other hopes that we can have that maybe get us more temporarily. But nothing can get us like the hope that we have, the eternal hope in Jesus. Jesus promises us that more is coming. All throughout scriptures, he promises us that more is coming. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, why should we believe? And I want to tell you that the reason that we should believe all the other things that Jesus said is because he is the only one in all of history. There's been like 100. I looked this up, actually. There's been 107 billion, 602,000, 602 million. Yeah, let me start over. Okay, 107,602,707,791 people that have walked the face of the earth. And of all of them, only one has predicted his own death and resurrection and pulled it off. All right? So, so, you know, Christianity, it's not really based on religion. It's not really based on a personality. Our faith and the reason that we have hope every day that we can uh, live the eternal life and the abundant life that Christ has called us to is because of that one promise that I will be crucified and on the third day I will be raised to life. So with that, and he cashed that check, I want to tell you that all of a sudden that, 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 that his resurrection was like a deposit that was put down on every other promise that he ever made. Think of it. The only guy who ever predicted his own death, his own murder, and his own resurrection, resurrection and he pulled it off. I mean, he's got my devotion. He's got my faith. It separates him from every other religious leader that's ever walked or any other human being that's ever walked the face of the earth. This guy is worth following. He is worth putting your trust in. It will all come to pass. And in John 14, 26, Jesus said that he would send a helper to help us, right? In some way, he knew that if he left for a little while and he sent his Holy Spirit, that you and I, that we would be better off. So he promises to send us that helper. So yeah, we believe that because he's resurrected. John 14, 3, he says that he was going to prepare a place for us. Isn't that awesome? So this hope and this faith that we have is not just for this life, although it completely and utterly changes this life altogether. Right, that at the end of the story is not the end of the story. Even death, there's a way that we come through it with Jesus. He's preparing a place for us. John 14, 12 said that greater things that we would do. Can you believe that? If Jesus hadn't said it, I wouldn't believe it. If it was just some pastor or preacher or some guy, but I want to tell you, this is red letter words. Jesus said that for those that loved him, that greater things that they would do. I think that's pretty awesome. And I bet for each one of us, there's probably some greater things that we could be doing. 
I don't want to tell you. Hope is the nurturing place. Hope is the incubator for, for faith and love to rise and be nurtured in our life. Jesus said in 1926 that with God, all things are possible. Right? With God, all things are possible. Now, either Jesus is telling the truth or he's lying. He said, all things are possible. So what impossible circumstance are you looking at that if Jesus could come in and if we realize that, you know, no matter what happens, no matter the outcome, that I will be resurrected with Jesus. This situation will be resurrected with, the, with Christ. Um, you know, how would we respond differently to these types of things? In John 14, 28, he said this. He said, he is coming back. He also said, you know, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But I want to tell you, all of those things that he promised us, all those things that I don't want to tell you should just fill our hearts with joy and peace. They were all predicated on the fact that he said that he would be uh, put to death and that he would rise on the third day. And if he's lying about that, then I don't know if we can trust him on all the other stuff. But I want to tell you, because he did, he is worthy of all of our trust. So this morning might be a, a, a great morning that maybe uh, as we've looked at the different things, if we looked at people that you've been going through your life, like where have I seen the empty tomb? Maybe you're just kind of like John and you got right up to the edge and then you had somebody else that kind of went in before you and looked and saw and then seeing the, the reaction of that person, you're saying, you know what, there is an empty tomb. Maybe somebody has prayed for you. Maybe you've experienced grace or the favor of God when you absolutely didn't deserve it and you know you didn't deserve it, I want to tell you that that is the power working of the empty grave of the resurrected Christ working in a life. That is the proof. Do you believe? Either Jesus died and was resurrected or he wasn't. And I want to tell you, this isn't a house here full of fools to be pitied. This is a house here full of men and women that just like John and Peter because of the resurrection will go out and change the world. And we're going to pray for you uh, right now. I'm going to ask if this is something if you've kind of been standing at the edge of the tomb and looking in, but you haven't really believed, I want to tell you this morning can be the morning that you believe. This morning can be the morning that you say, you know what, I'm going for it, and grab on to the living hope that is in the resurrection.